When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I've really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. In college, I flew through my days, checking off each planner item as it whizzed by. I squeezed in cycling intervals between class and powered through hours of studying. I bike raced almost every weekend for my professional team, or for the university. Slowing down or deviating from the plan in front of me didn't feel like an option. When I felt uncomfortable or started to question the frantic pace of my life, I hit the pedals even harder. For years, this havoc worked. I won races, got the grades I expected of myself, worked, conducted research, all at top speed. In the fall of my sophomore year, amongst emails about assignments and grades, my grandmother's name popped up. Her email subject line read, Interested in silent meditation retreat over New Year's? I was not interested in a silent meditation retreat. I continued checking off homework lists in my planner as her email bumped down my inbox. The following week, my grandmother's name appeared again scholarship available for young people at silent meditation retreat. I continued cooking dinner, but did feel the nudge of competition to apply for a scholarship, even if it was to a silent retreat that would happen while my friends were cheersing drinks somewhere. My grandmother called me to ask if I'd seen her emails. She assured me that this retreat was short, only four days, a breeze compared to the 60-day retreat she had been to last year. She kindly asked if I would just consider applying. She was so excited at the possibility of going together. I simply couldn't say no. At the end of December, I lurched along the southwestern Colorado desert roads with my grandma in her old manual car. We parked in a snowy gravel lot surrounded by ponderosa pines. Above the trees, snowy red mesas encircled us. 
one of the surprising contrasts of high desert in the winter. Ahead of us stood a series of stucco buildings that would become our home for the next few days. When I arrived at the retreat, I felt a sort of self-righteousness for choosing to be here. How centered and balanced of me to meditate through the new year. I scooted forward with my duffel bags to the check-in table. A woman in a knee-length dress, likely made of hemp, asked for my name. She smiled when she realized I was one of the young scholarship recipients. I imagined there weren't too many applicants, but hey. The hemp dress woman outlined the guidelines of the retreat. My grandmother closed her eyes, radiating wisdom. Meanwhile, my eyes grew wider with every word. We were expected to spend the next four days not talking, not writing, not reading, and not even making eye contact with the other members of the retreat. Just being with ourselves the whole time. We started with our first sit that morning. A few dozen gray-haired, scuffling characters took pillows and navigated the room. Without making eye contact, we formed a circle, looking towards the teachers who sat with their eyes down, swaying slightly. One teacher gently hit a small gong. I broke the rules and peeked at how others had reacted. They all closed their eyes and began what I assumed must be meditation. I sat on my pillow as my mind spun with a cacophony of questions. Primarily, how do I meditate? I had expected all sorts of instruction. I rocked back and forth and let my mind spiral as I tried to play the part. We sat in meditation for almost eight hours that day and walked in meditation for another four. At last, they let us go to bed. The slowness of my day made it hard to fall asleep. My grandmother snored across the room as I watched the moonlight illuminate the snow on the trees. I woke up with my mouth agape. My entire night had been filled to the brim with unprecedented dreams. This wasn't particularly unusual. I often woke up from my dreams feeling stunned that my mind could conjure such things. Once, I dreamt my mom euthanized me and my sister because the world was ending. Another time... I dreamt I was in charge of saving hundreds of infants by ziplining between buildings. This dream was not filled with the franticness that sometimes fills my dreams. Instead, it was the slow and terrifyingly realistic moments that shocked me. I dreamt I was dating a girl who I had class with. We danced, kissed, held hands, and cooked dinner together. I could deal with inner family euthanasia, but this one felt much scarier. I got out of bed. I brushed my teeth and thought about this girl. Ate breakfast and thought about this girl. I sat on my pillow and spent the entire day with this dream stamped permanently into my mind. I didn't know many gay people. I always figured gayness was cool, but cool for other people, and certainly not something I needed to consider. That night, I lay in bed again, feeling slow 
and subdued from a day of sitting for hours on end. After watching the same moon rise with an extra glint of light tonight, I fell asleep. I woke up unmoored. Same dream, but more details. Without making eye contact, I made it through another day of sitting. So much sitting and walking as my gray-haired peers seemed to happily settle into the calm of the retreat. I sat and walked and sat and walked, and this gay dream spun around me through it all. To put it mildly, I was not feeling the calm of the retreat. When the sun started to set, I began to feel scared. The night meant dreams. My grandma snored. I kept my eyes open, willing my brain to go back to the usual havoc dream world I was used to. But I knew it was coming. I woke up, and this time, I felt defeated. I hung my head, partially to avoid eye contact, but primarily in frustration. Going into this retreat, I had marked off the few days in my planner, said goodbye to my boyfriend, and set off ready to get all zen and feel superior for choosing to meditate through the new year, rather than drink to it. I spent the last two days oscillating between panic and defeat. For one of our walking meditation sessions, I took off in my leather boots and ran through the forest instead. I looked back, knowing I was breaking the expectations of pure meditation, but I needed to move. I needed to remember the way I'd always maintained control, through moving fast. I returned to the stucco buildings I was learning to dread. Later that afternoon, I had a session with one of our teachers to talk about our meditation practice. I walked through her door, started bawling, cried for 30 minutes, then let her give me a hug. She assured me that yes, meditation can be challenging and disorienting. Yes, I thought, so can a bombardment of gay dreams. When the retreat ended, I drove home with my grandma on the same snowy roads. We talked in snippets, adjusting to the sound of our own voices. She asked how my experience was, and I told her it was hard, but good. If she hadn't been watching the road, she would have seen my eyes darting around. As we drove away, I felt myself moving further from the dreams and closer to the familiarity I craved. I felt like I could shake off the dreams like water droplets, leaving them behind to evaporate. I wish I could say those four days catalyzed me into self-discovery. Instead, I spent the next two years engrossed in planning and executing meeting expectations, and biking fast. All the while, this dream bounced along in the background. It wasn't until I crashed my bike and got badly concussed that I was forced to sit still again and finally address the dreams that had taken over my time at the retreat. As I recovered, the scary gay thoughts came knocking. They asked gently if I'd like to take a look, say hello, and ask them what they were doing here. I started seeing a blessed therapist, which I insisted was only for my concussion. 
She listened to me tell her why I didn't need to be there. But I kept showing up and slowly started to soften. I had so much to think about and feel outside of the planner-oriented world I'd been gripping. I finally let myself consider the big question. What were the chances all of this was a fluke? Or more directly, ah, am I gay? Eventually, I swiped right and finally met someone for dinner. It took until halfway through dinner for me to give myself permission to think she was attractive. I felt a release as I acknowledged what my body had been telling me for years. Yes, girls are so cute. I like to think of this time I spent learning as a coming-in experience, rather than a coming-out experience. It took coming home to myself. It took slowing down, arriving in my body, and saying, Hey, what are you telling me? I'm here to listen. My name is Emily Shaldock, and this is my short. Thank you, Emily, for sharing your short. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from Publish the Quest, Bradley Carter, Kai Engel, Cordelia Zars, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the Artists Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song, and you can find the links to the artists at our website. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars and edited by Becca Cahal. Artwork by Anya Miller. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.